We begin 1 Corinthians today, and as we begin, uh, if you turn there, one of the things when we go through a, a book study, my heart and desire for you is, is man, pick up the Word of God. Um, if you have it with you, great. If not, it's, it's in a chair underneath you, um, and we'd love for you to, to look at it. We want you to see the words. So the text we walk through, we will not put up on the screen, Okay because there's a purpose for that. We want you to look at it. We believe there's, there's wealth in that. There's, there's um, profit in that for you as, as you look at it. We'll, we'll throw some satellite text up to, to help and, and that kind of stuff. But otherwise, the main text, we'd love for you to, to have it right in front of you. So 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1, 1 through 9 this morning. And so somebody came up to me this morning and said, hey, are you ready? And I was like, for what? <laughs> He's like, 1 Corinthians. <laughs> and I was like, yes, yes. I'm like, I love that you guys are like thinking and they're like, yeah, let's get ready. I don't, yeah, because y'all are ready. The question is, am I ready? And I, I feel good. I feel ready for it. Uh, I'm excited about the letter. And so when we think about this, this letter, um, you know, Paul has written uh, probably more than half of the New Testament with some 13 letters that he's written. And um, in his his letters. One of the letters that he writes is is a is one letter to Corinth, uh, to the church at Corinth and, and a second letter. Uh, and and what's interesting about Corinth is is Paul visited there, and we read about it in Acts eighteen, and, and it tells us of how God sent Paul there to to start a church to plant uh, a church. And so Acts eighteen is a, is a beautiful picture of what Paul encountered and how God through the Holy Spirit worked through Paul. And how God created uh, a local body, a local church who worships and lives for Jesus Christ there in Corinth. And so you're probably looking, I, I think, from my readings, is probably about AD 51 or so, maybe AD 52, uh, of when that church there gets, gets planted. And then Paul, after spending about a year and a half there, uh, departs, and he continues on his journeys. He had a total of three missionary journeys, and so he goes and he continues on his journeys. Um, and, and then uh, he gets word about the church. He gets word about the church through two different letters that get sent to him. And so 1 Corinthians is actually a response, answers to these letters that he's received from the church. You see, Corinth was an interesting place. Uh, it was a growing city. It was a city on the rise when Paul got there to plant it, uh, the church there. It, it was a city that was the economic center for, for really that area. Uh, it was uh, real high on education. There was a lot of educated people that, that lived there as well. It, it was also a city that had a lot of idolatry. You see, the people there uh, worshipped um, Greek and Roman gods. In fact, if you've had this, heard this idea of uh, temple prostitution, all right, that was present in Corinth, where people would go up on these high places and in worship of uh, different gods in the Greek and Roman god system, they would go and actually encounter prostitutes, have sex with them, and so that was their act of worship. And so when you think of that and you hear that this morning, you're like, whoa, okay. And, and, and that's what the city was like. So you had a culture that was immoral, uh, idolatrous. And so when it came to Jesus and the gospel, 
they were very much um, against Jesus and the good news. They thought it was foolish, that it, it lacked wisdom. And so we'll see that a little bit in chapter 1 as well. And so this church planted in this culture that, that had all that at play. We would uh, maybe uh, say it's similar to Los Angeles, similar to, to like a New York, especially similar, similar to like a Las Vegas. It was that type of city that we would know in present day. And, and so Paul plants the church there, and what happens while he's away is the worldliness in the city has started to impede on the members of the church. And so what happens is this one named Chloe, we find in chapter 1, verse 11, she is going to write a letter to Paul and talk about the divisions in the church, the the disunity that is causing problems in the church. And so we'll see that in chapter 1 and even beyond that. Not only that, but she's also going to mention the immorality that's in the church. And the depth of it we will read about will uh, maybe bring, be kind of shocking to you because it's actually in the Word of God that you're like, whoa, that's, that's, wow. But it's things that are very present in our day as well. There'll be a second letter that Paul's going to address, and chapter 16 is where we kind of hear about it. Um, and he is going to address that letter in response in regards to issues involving marriage, singleness, um, divorce. Um, he's also going to address in uh, the letter uh, that he received, the second letter, he's also going to address to them the issue of uh, Christian freedom and liberty. What does that mean? What does that look like? And so if you step back and just ask the question, okay, what is Paul's goal in writing First Corinthians? What's his goal? His goal is simply this. He wants the people of God, he wants the church to look at everything in life through the lens of the gospel. You see, the gospel isn't just something that that saves us in a moment or in an experience, and and then we just step away from that and just kind of live how we want to. No, the gospel encompasses every area of our life. It it continues to be the the heartbeat of everything we are, and we view everything through the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, that's what Paul does. He does that really in all his letters, but especially this one, and it's going to touch every area of life. Relationships, family, marriage, the community of the church, your work. You name it, Paul's going to address it. And so that's where we're going to go. That's going to go over the next weeks and months as we look at this really beautiful letter, I think a timely letter, right? And so where do we go today? Where do we begin today? Well, Paul does this really almost in all his letters where he is going to, at the very beginning, in some form of a greeting, a salutation at the beginning, what he's going to do is he's going to speak of who he is in God and who we are, the church, are uh, in God. Who Paul is in Christ and who we are in Christ. He's going to cause us to remember. Because here's what's vital and important to Paul, that we remember where we came from. Okay, so I'll explain that in a second. And who we are. 
what we're to do presently because of that, and where we're going in the future. And, and so Paul is going to speak to that. And so it's what that means is, where do we come from? Well, Paul, um, as he wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, that he was created in Christ Jesus. So he knows where he came from, and he knows, we're going to find out this morning, that he is called, okay? And um, actually, go ahead and just do this. Look at verse 1. Get into it, all right? I'm going to get ahead of myself and get all excited. All right. But look at verse 1. Listen to what it says here. Paul says this. And what I want you to see this morning is, first of all, he, he knows who he is. He is called by grace. He is called by grace. He says in verse 1, Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. And so Paul knows who he is. He, he knows that he is called by Christ. He, he says here that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ, meaning he has been commissioned as a messenger of the gospel. So when we think of the term apostle, we often think of eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul experienced Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, and when he encountered Christ, uh, the risen Lord met him on the road as he was going to persecute the church, uh, to, to actively uh, support and participate in killing Christians. Jesus Christ stops him in his tracks there on the road, encounters him on the road. Christ, or Paul immediately encounters the glorious, beautiful Jesus Christ, and, and there his life is changed forever. And so Paul sees that as his moment of when God called him, and he called him to be an apostle. An apostle. An apostle is also a messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is who Paul is. And so Paul knows where he came from, and he also knows where he's going, which we're going to hear about in a, in a little bit. Um, and he also know, knows where he stands now. And so he mentions also here Sosthenes. Now, who's Sosthenes? If you go to Acts 18, verse 17, you, you'll learn that he was a ruler there uh, of the synagogue in Corinth at the time of Paul's first visit when Paul planted the church. And so it's interesting that he includes Sosthenes here. But one thing that we see about Paul is, is most of the time he is traveling with people, with other brothers in the faith. And I would imagine that this is that same guy in Acts 18, and he's discipling him. And so here he sends this letter to the church of Corinth, and he says, listen, this is who I am. This is who I am. Now, this is important because his authority as an apostle, as a messenger of the gospel, is going to be questioned uh, several times by the church at Corinth. And so he's going to address that in this letter, but he says, this is who I am. And he says, this is my brother as well. And so these two come as representatives of those who have been called. They've been called by grace. And so when we think about that this morning, can you put your name in that verse? Paul says here, Paul, called, called by God, by the will of God, as an apostle for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's Paul. What about you this morning? Can you put your name there? Can you put your name there? Can you put your name, and maybe in here this morning you're a teacher at a school, and maybe you started this week, maybe you start next week, and you can put, hey, listen, I'm, I'm so-and-so, and I'm called by the will of God to be a teacher for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's who 
I am. That's who I am. Can you fill in that? Are you called? So what, what does that mean? And so to, to help answer that, uh, I want to answer the question, what, what happened to make you and I a Christian? What happened? Because Paul is going to speak to that. And, and how does he do that? Look at verse 2. Listen to what he says. He says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And so there's three things that Paul mentions here that's, that's important to the call that, that God um, does in our life to call us unto him and, and what actually happens to make us a Christian. So look what happens here in verse 2. It says, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. And, and so Paul says that that's who the church in Corinth is. They're the called. And what does that mean? They've been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now that's Paul's story as well. And he's saying that's the church in Corinth also. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart, to be made holy. We think of sanctification probably in terms of this idea if it's a process that, that began when I became a Christian. It's a process that, that began to continually change me, as, as Paul is going to say in 2 Corinthians 3, that, that I am being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And, and that's a process. That's a change that through the power of the Holy Spirit that God wants to do. He wants to continually transform us and change us. But the idea that Paul has in here is not just a process, but it's also a decisive experience that happens. I mean, think about Paul. He was sanctified in Christ Jesus. Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus, it was a decisive break, a decisive change in his life, where he went from persecuting Jesus Christ, his followers, and, and the message, and, and he went from doing that to immediately the decisive change to living for Jesus Christ. And so here's what this idea of being sanctified in Christ Jesus means right here, is that in that moment, God sets you apart to be his. He sets you apart to be his. And your life changes. You go from disbelieving the gospel, maybe even thinking it foolish. You go from living a life of sin, but, but now with that decisive change, when he calls you, what happens is that you begin to believe. You, you, you believe in Jesus and the power of the cross. The, the cross is no longer foolishness. It's, it's now the power of God and the wisdom of God. And no longer do you live in a life of sin, but now you live in obedience. And that happens, and that's what happened to Paul, and that's what he's saying has happened to the church in Corinth, they are sanctified. So here's what this looks like in Paul's letter. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, because this is how Paul adjusted. It'll be up on the screen for you, but 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminates. effeminates. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that word right, but Ephemates, here's what, what they are. They are men who act like women, okay? So this was even present back in Paul's day, just as it is in our world. And so Paul's going to address that, that some were that. 
uh, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's pretty emphatic. Such, listen to what Paul says, as he's talking to the church in Corinth, as he writes them, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. Is that word? But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of God. So when Paul says you were sanctified, what he's saying is, hey, you were once like this. This is the life you lived. But now you're this. So you were once a drunk, right? But with that de decisive break, when Christ sanctified you, you no longer turn to alcohol as your God. But Jesus now is your God. You were once a homosexual. But when you were sanctified in Christ Jesus, there was a decisive break. And you begin to trust in Jesus and you begin to obey his word and to walk according to his truth and his way. It says covetousness. You were once greedy for money, but now instead of being a lover of money, you're a lover of Jesus. You see what happens here? That's what it means to be sanctified in Jesus Christ. And one of the things that's present in our culture today, and you've seen it even recently with some leaders that are denouncing their faith, is you see some leaders that will take some things that are mentioned here about, hey, this is the way you were. And what they'll do is they think they get some kind of new revelation or new truth that comes to them. And they'll say all of a sudden about a lifestyle or, or something that is flat out called sin here. And they'll say, hey, I'm no longer going to live this way, but I'm going to go to here because I've found this new truth. I found this new thing to be true about this. And so they, they're, they're kind of creating this new truth. They've come to this new reality. The thing is, is, is the word of God is the truth everlasting, and it never changes. You cannot add to it. You can't subtract it. And so when Paul explains this, this, this great calling that God does, and he says you're sanctified, this is this decisive moment where you are no longer living in this old way of living, but now you are made new. And guys, that's what it means to be saved, the Bible says. That's what it means to be born again, John 3. That's what it means in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that the old is gone and the new has come, and now you're a new creature. And so that's what it means to be sanctified in Christ Jesus. There's been a decisive break, and your life has changed. But look at the other thing he says in verse 2 as well. He says, that you are saints by calling with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And so what does he say here? He's, he's called us to be saints. So this calling, he sanctifies us, he, set apart, he sets us apart as his, he changes our life. He also calls us, and now we have a new standing. We're, we're holy, we're holy ones, we are saints. And then he says, with all who live in every place, 
We are those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here you have God's calling, and you have us calling on him. And in Paul's mind, these two things go together, all right? God calls you, and what does he call you into? Look at verse 9. It says, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship, he says in verse 9, with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That is what God's calling you into into a relationship, into fellowship, into communion with his son, Jesus Christ. It's this beautiful picture. Here's the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and here is God the Father, and he is calling you into that community. He is calling you into that relationship. He is calling you into that family. You are now part of the family of God, and you have fellowship with Jesus Christ, his son. He calls you into that, and then you, by God's grace, Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you call on him to be saved. That's why in Romans 10, verse 9, it says um, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart um, that uh, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It also says in Romans 10, 13, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And so the call of God and the call where we call out to him to be saved Paul views it here as something that goes together, that goes together. And this call, the call of God, affects our heart. It changes our heart to where now we believe in Christ as our Lord. We are no longer blinded to the cross, but we now embrace it for everything it did for us. As Jesus took our sin upon himself, became sin so that we could become right with God through Jesus Christ, and now have a relationship with him. And so here's the cool thing that happens here, guys, and and this is what Paul is communicating, is guess what? Every Christian in the world, this is true about you. God chose you. God chose you. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 26 through 31. I want you to look at it yourself or up on the screen, but listen to what he says, all right? That's just the last verse, but I want you to look at the whole thing, okay? He says, for consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is, written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. God has chosen you. And that's what it means to be called. You're sanctified. You're now called as his saints, to be saints. And you have called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like to become Christian. Someone who has been called by God. And then I want you to look at verse 4. Here's the deal. All of this that we're going to talk about this morning, 
the calling of God, and then the last thing we're going to talk about is, is, is not only he calls us, but he keeps us, okay? But both those things are all because of what he talks about here in verse 4. It's all because of grace. It's all because of the grace of God. The undeserving favor, the undeserving kindness, the undeserving love of God that we do not deserve. And look what he says in verse 4. He says this. He says, I thank my God always concerning you, church at Corinth, for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. It's a gift. And so it's all about grace, the call of God, the keeping of God. And look at verse 5. That in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge. Paul says here that, that it's by the grace of God. We're saved by the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And this is not of yourselves. It's not by works or anything that you can do, but it's a gift from Jesus Christ. But he also says right here in verse 5 that in everything in life, right, And so this is where the gospel, this is where the grace of God impacts everything in life. That in everything, you were enriched in him. Meaning you were made rich in him. But but not prosperity gospel richness. You were enriched in him with the grace of God for every day. This this is common grace. Uh, This is um, special grace that God gives to all his believers. You, you have been gifted with this special grace that, that comes from the grace of Jesus Christ for every part of living. Peter puts it this way in first, or Second Peter chapter 1, I believe it's verse 3, where, where he says that God has granted to you everything by his power for this life and for godliness. It's kind of the same idea here that you were enriched with the grace of God for everything in life. It means that you know, we use that phrase, God has blessed me, right? And this is kind of the idea that God blesses you with everything for this life to live out the gospel for the glory of God. That's the end of it. That's the goal of it. Not for your comfort, right? Not for our entertainment, but God gives us his grace for everything in life so that we can live for the glory of God and for, um, to live out the message of the gospel. That's what he enriches us for. And so what does it impact? Well, he says in verse 5, in all speech and in all knowledge. And so Paul's going to talk about, in a few places, spiritual gifts. And so we see the expression of of God's grace being lived out through the body of Christ, through uh, the way that God has gifted them. And it's going to bless, it's going to impact how they speak. Instead of being foolish in their words, now they're wise in their words uh, for the glory of God. It will impact their knowledge as they grow in the wisdom of God as well. And so we see that. And so this is all about God's grace. And then look at verse 6. Even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. And so Paul says, hey, let's church at Corinth. It has been witnessed that you have been called. That you have been called. And so this is interesting because what is this letter doing? It's confronting them with their lifestyle. But Paul says, your testimony is confirmed. We, we've seen that decisive break. We've seen that decisive change. 
And that's because of God's grace. And look at verse 7. So that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, by God's grace, God has equipped you. He's given you gifts of the Spirit to, to help you, to, to minister, to live out the gospel. And so he's going to address that. But then he says here, we eagerly, or you eagerly, wait, uh, are awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's that talking about? We have hope. We have hope. And so because of God's grace, as those who are called, right, this calling impacts us every day. It impacts the way we talk. It impacts our knowledge. It impacts how we live. It impacts how we minister to others uh, as we use God's gifts. And we have hope. We have hope. And so lastly, look at this. Look at verse 8 through 9. Listen to what he says. And so we're called, and it's all by grace. But not only that, we're kept, okay? We're kept by God's grace. And so look at 8 and 9. He says this. He picks up the last part of verse 7 where it says, The Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing to think of? That who God calls, he also keeps. That word confirm right there, it may be in your translation sustain or keeping. But amazing to think that, that who God calls, he confirms, he sustains, he, he keeps them. And then he says he keeps them blameless. All the way to the, the day of Christ Jesus, when, they, when Christ returns, when they see Christ, I mean, they're blameless. Isn't that amazing? That's what Christ has done. That's the power of the cross. That's the wisdom of the cross. That we who were sinners... Because of Jesus, when we stand before him one day, because we've been called, we can stand before him blameless. Can you say that today? Not because of anything you've done, but because of Jesus. Has he called you? Have you called on him to be saved? Those who are, one day will be seen as blameless before Jesus Christ. That is unbelievable. And so what will keep all this together? What will keep you and I Christian? Right? Guess what? You won't. <laughs> we'll jack the whole thing up. Right? Right? Without perseverance, Jesus says, we will not be saved. And we hear that and we step back and we think, wow, that's... That's tough to hear. That's, that's, a kinda, that's a tough act of persevering to the end, enduring to the end. And that's what he said in Mark 13, 13. Jesus says, the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. And so here's what I want you to, when you look at verse 8, I want you to step back for a second. And as you read that again, I want you to hear this. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, so I want you to read that as a promise, because that's what it is. It's God's commitment to you who are called. If you're a Christian in here today, those words are God's commitment to you, to keep you, to sustain you, to confirm you, to keep you blameless before Jesus Christ until he returns. That's his commitment to you. Now, what's that based on? 
What's that based on? What's the foundation to this promise? Because God's the one who causes us to persevere. He's the one who causes us to endure to the end. And what is the, promise, or the basis of that? Look at verse 9. It says, God is faithful. Because you might read verse 8 and say, hey, I've had promises broken before. Well, here's what you, you, you need to know about God. God will not let you down. He will never let you down. What he says is true. He will never fail you. He will never go bad on a promise made. What he commits to you, he will be faithful to do. And it says here, Paul says, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. If he called you, he will keep you. John chapter 10, Jesus speaks of the same thing. He says, those who hear my voice, that the sheep who are called by my name, the Father will hold them in his hands, and, and so will the Son, Jesus Christ, hold them in his hands. Talk about security. See, that's what it means to be kept. And that's how we persevere to the end, is we're kept by Jesus Christ. We're kept by the Father. And then lastly, I want you to hear this, because this is a great summation of it all. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. Listen to what Paul says. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, okay? And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete, without blame, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to This week, as I was studying for this, I got a little notification of a, of a, a tweet that came in. I, I've just started in the world of, of Twitter out of necessity um, to keep up with some, some things uh, on my kid's side. And so as a byproduct, I've ventured into receiving texts from the world of the likes of like Timothy Keller and, of course, John Piper. I mean, come on, guys. Um, just kidding. Um, but one came across this week by Russell Moore, and he said this, and I thought, man, this just, it, I just thought, man, this is timely. This is a great word. And he said this. He says, we do not persevere by theological rigor. I don't think theological rigor is bad, and that's not what he's saying, but he says we don't persevere by that. We do not endure by succeeding in religious efforts. But I love this simple statement. We stand by grace. Isn't that true? We stand by grace. We're called by the grace of God. We're kept by the grace of God. So today, who are you? are you? You see, we live in a world that tells us that we live in relation to what we buy. And the world will tell you that they'll sell you on a, on a car in a commercial, but what they want to do is they want you to see, oh, well, I need that because that's going to help me define who I am. It's going to help me in this life. 
This world does it with clothes. It does it with perfume and cologne commercials. It, it does it with life insurance commercials. It, it, it wants you to be defined in relation to things and stuff. And I love what the gospel does. I love what Paul does. He, he says, hey, listen, I'm not throwing away all that stuff. I'm, I'm not saying negate all that stuff. But what I'm saying is I, we need to redefine all that stuff and give its proper place and let our life be defined by God. That everything would be seen through the lens of the gospel. And it begins with us. First of all, are you called this morning? Have you been called by God? Have you been sanctified by him? Have you had that decisive break in your life where you went from not believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ and holding on to Christ and his resurrection, everything he's done for you, where you, you did not believe that, but now you do? Have you had that moment? Have you had that moment where you've broken from that sin that entangled you and enslaved you to where now you've broken free from that because God called you and you called on his name to be saved. Have you called on his name? Can you stand here today and put your name in verse 1 and say, I'm called by the will of God. Can you say that? I, I pray today it's true with you. If it's not, I, I believe God's always calling. I don't know who he's always calling. That's up to him, right? But I believe when the scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be saved. That that, who does that? God is calling. And so I pray this morning that you hear that, that you hear that. And that you would, by the power of the Spirit, call out on him to save you. Let me pray.